0: Let's turn in our Bibles to John 14. Really excited about the study this morning. We're in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the beautiful weather that you've given to us, the sunshine, great temperature. And we're thankful for your presence with us, your love for us, the promise of peace that surpasses our understanding. And we ask today that we could really experience your peace where our hearts are troubled, where there is discouragement and dismay and anxiety that you would come and meet us in a supernatural way With your peace. Would you send your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth? In Jesus' name, amen. It seems that troubled hearts is the state of the mind of the world today. If we were to take a snapshot of our country, a snapshot of our culture, I think that many of us are experiencing troubled hearts. There's concern on a national level. There seems to be so much hatred in our country, a a lack of love and a lack of respect. there's concern politically. Where's our country headed politically? There's concern economically. I mean, when you think about the country's national debt, it's it's not sustainable. There's concern with violence. You know, every time we open up a, a news app, there's more violence that is, is taking place. And that causes our hearts to be troubled. But it's not just what's happening on a big scale, but it's also what's happening on a personal level, isn't it? There's things that are going in your heart, in your mind. Maybe there's relationships that are causing you to experience trouble in your heart. It's your own finances. Maybe there's challenges inside of your job. Maybe there's challenges inside of your your physical health. And as we go through this life, there's lots of difficulty that we face. And what Jesus promises us in this section of Scripture is peace. Peace for troubled hearts. The setting is that Christ is about ready to go to the cross. He's moments away from his trial and his crucifixion. He served the disciples with communion. He served them by washing their feet. And now he's preparing to be crucified. The disciples have just heard bad news in three ways. The first was that Jesus is departing and they can't go with him. They don't know that Christ is going to heaven. Jesus just said, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't come. The second, Christ has just told them that one of you is going to betray me. And the third is that Peter was going to deny the Lord before sunrise. Before the rooster crows, Peter is going to deny the Lord. And this is the backdrop. This is the context, the setting in which Jesus encourages them to not let their hearts be troubled. So verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. It seems to not make sense because there is a lot of things that are legitimate that would cause their heart to be troubled. But yet Jesus is saying, I don't want you to have a troubled heart. I don't want you to be in this place of this stirred, anxious spirit. I want you to be in a place of peace. And what we understand with this instruction is that we do have the option to walk in God's peace or not. Don't Allow your heart to be troubled. A lot of times we feel like we have no control over our heart. That our heart is a victim to the circumstances. That we have no choice but to be discouraged. We have no choice but to be overwhelmed. But here Jesus is encouraging us, don't allow your heart to go to that place of lack of peace. I really felt the song that we just sang is fitting for the message this morning because it is a process to go from discouragement to peace isn't it it's a process to go from worry and anxiety to rest i love the psalms because the psalms are very honest and david many times begins with discouragement in his songs i'm i'm discouraged i'm i'm overwhelmed but as he spends time with the lord and focuses on the lord he moves to a place of peace and a, a place of understanding that god is his refuge In Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says, Guard your heart, because out of it flows the issues of of life. Protect your heart. Safeguard your heart. Pay attention to the condition of your heart. Okay, Lord, I'm going through my days, and my heart's really troubled. It's overwhelmed. And choosing to press into God's promises and his presence to experience his peace. And so Christ is going to give us the remedy He's going to show us how we can experience peace from a troubled heart. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. There's going to be three things that we focus on this morning to experience God's peace. And the first is to believe in God, to trust in God. Jesus says, if you're believing in the Father, believe also in me. This would be a difficult time for the disciples to trust Christ. They don't understand how all of these events are going to lead together. They're not going to understand the resurrection until after it takes place. Even though Jesus has warned them about it. Their hearts are going to be overwhelmed. Their hearts are going to be discouraged. And as they go through this process of Christ's crucifixion, Jesus says, it's really important. Believe in me. Trust me. Trust that I have a plan. We're instructed to walk by faith and to not walk by sight. So that means many times that we're not going to understand what God's doing in the circumstances of our lives. The peace that God is desiring to give us is one that surpasses our understanding. God oftentimes doesn't come to us and say, Here's the ten reasons why I'm doing this in your life. Here's the ten reasons why you're getting laid off from your job. This is how I'm going to develop your character. And this is how I'm going to provide for your family in the future. We're, we're left in these moments of, am I going to trust God? What situation is troubling you? Put that into the hands of God. Look at God's faithfulness as it's displayed through creation. It's a beautiful week here in Colorado Springs. There was one morning where fresh snow on the peak and coming down on to the range a bit. But yet there was all this green. The mountains are green, but yet on the top, it's just filled with snow. It was beautiful, and the best part is the snow was up there, and it wasn't down here, right? God's creation reminds us of his wonderful, gracious care of us. The word of God, the promises of God, to press ourselves into God's promises. To have a list of your favorite promises of God and saying, this is a difficult time, but I know that I can trust in the promises of God. We have an advantage over the disciples because we're living prior to the cross. We look back on the cross and we know the love of God displayed that Jesus died for us and rose again. So we can say, Lord, I don't understand my circumstance. I don't understand the trial and the difficulty that I'm going through. But I know that you're good displayed upon the cross. So I'm choosing to trust you. But the peace of God is going to flow into our hearts through trust. In those times where it's difficult to trust, that there is going to be that departure of peace. You say, what do I do? I know that my faith isn't what it should be. Cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Be honest about the struggle with the Lord. Ask for his help. Also, we're told that faith comes by hearing the word of God. As we hear the word of God, as we spend time in the word of God, that's how our faith is going to be built in the Lord. Verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. The source of peace for the disciples, the reason that they didn't have to allow their heart to be troubled, was because of heaven. So number two, focus on heaven if you desire peace for a troubled heart, is focus on heaven. Jesus didn't say, don't let your heart be troubled because this life's going to be easy. Don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to overthrow the Roman Empire. I think in many ways, the disciples and the Jews wanted a hope that provided an earthly solution. They desperately wanted independence from the Romans. They desperately wanted their earthly experience to be better. But Jesus gives us something that is far superior to that. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to prepare a place for you. Guys, you're going to have eternal life. You're going to heaven. How many difficulties in our lives today does heaven not answer? The thing that troubles you today, how will that not be answered in heaven? I can only think of one, and that is heartbreak over an unbeliever, right? Someone that doesn't know Christ as their savior. Hopefully they'll turn and trust Christ before their life is done. If they don't, that impacts their eternity. That impacts them not going home to be with the Lord. But heaven totally solves All the bill problems, all the financial problems are solved in heaven. That's something you're not going to have to worry about. Heaven's going to solve all relational problems. Amen? So those relationships that we heard over in heaven, they're going to to be solved. Health problems, guess what? You get a glorified body that's going to work perfectly for all of eternity. Jesus says, focus on heaven. This is the place where our hearts find peace. So what do we know about heaven? What has the scripture told us that is going to be so amazing about heaven? In 1 John, it says that we're going to see God. This was an anchor for Job as he went through trial. His kids died. He lost his finances. He lost his health. In the middle of wrestling with this difficulty, in Job 19, he says, this is what I know, is that my Redeemer lives, and at the end of my days, I will see God. With my flesh, I'm going to see God. How wonderful that is to be able to see the Lord, to be in His presence, to worship Him. But also, we're told that as we see Him, we're going to be made like Him. We're going to be glorified, no longer struggling with sin. The psalmist says that he's going to be satisfied when he wakes up in the Lord's likeness. That's going to be great. To behold the Lord and to no longer struggle with sin. To no longer be tempted with sin. To no longer give in to sin. To have our relationship with the Lord not be hindered by sin. And then also, we will experience relationship with each other that's not impacted by sin. If you're married... And you're married to a believer isn't it going to be amazing to be able to spend to eternity together and not be negatively impacted by sin? You know the scripture tells us that we're not married in heaven. Now for some of you that's a, a great relief. You're like praise the lord that just gives me peace in my heart right there. You know, that was worth it. It Was worth the trip to church th- this morning for For others, it's this huge heartbreak. I I can't imagine that we're not going to be married in heaven. Hopefully, we'll understand that we had something special uh, together. But you're going to experience that relationship with your your spouse and with everybody in heaven without the presence of sin, without affecting sin. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering. Jesus is going to wipe away all of our tears Jesus tells us that we're going to rule and reign with him. He's going to have jobs and assignments for us to do. And actually our faithfulness here on earth determines the assignments that he's going to give us for, for all of eternity. I think we would agree that though this life is painful, it's also really good, isn't it? All that we experience in this life, all of the good things that we experience in this life are just a little bit of a foreshadowing of how wonderful that heaven is going to be. Heaven is so good from God's perspective that he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. That's what the Bible says. So when God brings home a believer, he goes, oh, this is good. This is their homecoming. They get to join me in the presence of the Lord. Also, the Spirit of God puts this hope inside of us. I want to read to you a verse out of 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10, and it may be one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Let me tell you why. It says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And that's where we normally stop. Ear hasn't heard, eye hasn't seen, nor has it entered into our imagination how good heaven is going to be. But why is this misquoted is because of verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. So what God is saying is, yes, my eye hasn't seen anything close to what heaven's going to be like. My ear hasn't even begun to hear the sounds that are going to be in heaven. My heart can't even begin to imagine. But the spirit of God has put this hope inside of me. The Spirit of God has revealed this to me of how wonderful heaven is going to be. Now, I would think for most of us, you knew this coming in this morning, to focus on heaven. But yet, don't we really struggle with focusing on heaven in the midst of daily life? Come on, we're trying to get laundry done, trying to navigate Costco, trying to stay on top of the bills, and just navigate life get through work get through yard work i'm sure you're going man it's a blessing that the weather's warmer but now i've got weeds to deal with i've got grass that needs to be mowed and all of these challenges of life and we're not really thinking and focusing on heaven we're instructed to set our mind on things above so how does god grow us to a heavenly perspective and does god Desire for us to have a heavenly perspective. Yes. So this is how he gets us there. The first is through trials. Trials are God's gift to make us look forward to heaven and realize that this life is not all that there is. Trials bring us to that place. When things are going great, we're like, "Whoa, well, I'm not really thinking that much about heaven. I bet if you're in a really tough season, you're thinking about heaven. You're focusing on heaven and the peace that that brings. Another way that God gets us to have an eternal perspective is through our treasure. Jesus instructs us of what to do with our money. And it's really not our money. It's it's God's money. And he encourages us to invest physical money into a heavenly treasure. Give that money to the work of the Lord. And then that results in your heart being placed in heaven. That our heart is going to follow treasure. Now, why does God ask us to give? Is it because he's broke? He's like, well, the stock market's not doing so good. I'm not sure if my work's gonna survive. No, he does it for our benefit because heart follows treasure. And if you invest your finances, you invest your time, you invest your talents in the things of God, then your heart is going to be fixed upon heaven. Maybe you follow a high school sports team just a little bit. Until you have a student that plays for that high school. All of a sudden, your interest in that team has gone way up. Why? Because heart follows treasure. Heart follows treasure. So where we invest our treasure, our heart will be also. And then lastly, God moves our hearts with a focus on heaven through transfers. When a loved one passes away who's a believer, and they're in the presence of the Lord, doesn't heaven become very real? Doesn't heaven become a place that you're looking forward to for that reunion with the Lord and that reunion with a loved one? Focus on heaven. That's where God brings peace into our lives. Well, guys, I'm in real trouble. I've got to get to verse 14 before the 11 o'clock service. So verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. The beauty of of heaven is that it's intimate and personal with Christ. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come and receive you to myself, and we're going to forever be together. And this takes place either through the death of a believer, or what the Bible describes as the rapture of the church, when Christ is going to return and take believers who are alive at that time home to be with the Lord. How cool would it be to be alive during the rapture of the church, if that's what the Lord chose. In verse 4, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? We know that Jesus is headed to the cross, the resurrection, and ascension to be with the Father, but he hasn't spelled this out for the disciples that he is going to ascend to the Father. So Thomas asked the question, we don't know where you're going. I'm so thankful that the disciples had the relationship with Jesus where they could ask honest and real questions. And hopefully for us in our relationship with the Lord, we can ask questions when we don't understand and we're confused. To ask the Lord, to ask one another, and that's how growth takes place in our lives. In verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the sixth of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. These I am statements are statements of deity. In the book of Exodus, God gave himself the title, I am that I am. Jesus continues with that title and says, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the light of the world. And here Jesus declares, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Jesus that we're able to come to the Father in relationship and in eternal life. What Jesus didn't say is he didn't say, I'm a way. I'm one option of many. He claims to be exclusive. I am the only way. We do look at Pikes Peak and there's several ways to hike Pikes Peak. There's several trails and they all end up at the top as long as you keep hiking. Some people view faith that way. And they say as long as you believe in something, it's all good to God. So if it's Buddha, Muhammad, Christ, it doesn't matter. Just, Just pick one and it all ends up in heaven. But Jesus says no. He says, I am exclusively the way. There's one way for salvation, and it's only through Christ. Also, what is fascinating about Christ's statement is when he says that he's the way, he's not giving us a set of instructions that will lead to eternal life. Let me illustrate this. If we have a young child that is right in the process of potty training, that's at the front of the stage this morning, What would happen if you looked at this young child, the parent looked at this child and said, okay, it is time for you to do this yourself. I want you to go down the long aisle to the big doors in the back of the sanctuary. Reach up for the handle, pull the handle, push that wood door open. When you get out to the foyer, take a right. Head to your right and you'll come to a small, narrow door. And there, on your right, will be some drinking fountains, so you're another right, and then you're going to be making a decision whether you need to go into the men's bathroom or the women's bathroom. Now, do you know which one's the men's bathroom? Do you know which one's the men's ba- women's bathroom? Do you think that that child would make it? Now, remember, when kids are potty training, and they come to you, and they say, I gotta go to the bathroom. like They have to go right now especially when they're running around and they're playing, the child's probably not going to make it. But what if mom or dad picks up that child, puts them on their shoulders, dangerous but effective, <laughs> walks the child out of the sanctuary to the restroom, what's happened? The parent has become the way. See, the Christian life is not Jesus saying, okay, here's a bunch of do-betters, try-harders, if, if you do well, then you're going to have eternal life. Jesus says, I have become the way. I've come in human flesh. I was crucified for your sins. I rose again. And as we believe in him, as we trust him and invite him to be the Lord of our life, then he becomes the way. He takes us to the Father. He glorifies us. And out of response to that tremendous gift, then we say, God, I want to serve you. But we're not serving him to try to attain eternal life, We're serving him because he's graciously given us eternal life. Then Jesus declares that he is the truth. He is the truth. A lot of times people see truth as being relative. People approach the the word of God and say, you know what, we can change the meaning of the word of God. (coughs) As culture changes and times change, then the message of God needs to change. But the Lord says that his truth is timeless, that his truth doesn't change. And there's this argument that goes out with the word of God that how can we interpret the word of God? There's so many differing interpretations of of the word of God. And what that really is, is it's an attack on God's ability to be able to communicate. God can't communicate clearly through his word in a way that we can understand him. I've got a suggestion for you this morning. I believe that God has clearly communicated through his word, Genesis to Revelation. Not that there's not difficult passages in scripture, but the overall message of God is pretty easy to understand. God effectively communicated his message. In fact, you can sum up his message in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. More like we don't like God's message. We don't like that Jesus said he's the only way to the Father. We don't like that God has a plan for sexuality. God very clearly says in his word what his plan for sexuality is. At the very beginning, when he begins Genesis 1, 2, and 3, he says, I created Adam and Eve, male and female. In his wisdom, he knew that we would contest that, and he stated it from the very beginning. It's not difficult to understand. We just don't like what he said. So that's the bigger argument with the word of God, is am I going to embrace the truth? And you might be saying, well, why do I want to embrace the truth? Why do I want to sink myself into the truth of scripture? Because the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. That's what's unique about the Bible, the Word of God. This book that we hold in our hands is it's truth. It's the truth. It has the power to be able to set us free as we embrace the truth. And then Christ says that he's the life. He's the life. He gives us eternal life, but he also provides abundant life. Not the easiest life, but the fullest life as we embrace Christ. And he brings us into relationship with the Father. And this is the third point this morning that provides peace for our troubled hearts, and it's to embrace the Father. These last few verses, Jesus is really focusing on our relationship with the Father. And as we have the relationship with the Father, it brings peace into our hearts. When Christ rose from the dead, he looked at Mary Magdalene and said, I need to ascend to my Father and your Father. Through his death and resurrection, he brings us in to a father relationship. When you study the Old Testament and the prayers of the nation of Israel, they address God as Lord. But Jesus, when he instructed us to pray, he says, you begin your prayers with our Father. This would be radical for the disciples. We're not used to praying this way. Jesus has brought us into this relationship with the Father. In verse 7, he says, if you had known me you would have known my father also. And from now on, you will know him and have seen him. So he's saying, if you've known me, you've known the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is sufficient for us. You almost wonder, is Philip listening? Jesus just said, if you've known me, you've known the father. And then Philip's saying, Would you please show us the Father and it would be sufficient for us? Philip's wanting this grandeur of the glory of the Father and seeing the glory of the Father revealed. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? I wish that we had the live stream of this conversation. I wonder when we get to heaven, if God... God recorded all of this, that we could see it. Because I I would love to know what Christ's facial expressions and body language is in this. I almost picture Jesus smiling a little bit, you know, looking at Philip and saying, bro, I've been with you for a long time now, right? I thought we had this. I thought you understood this. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. So Jesus gets a little deeper with Philip and says, are you believing what I'm saying? Philip, I know you're hearing what I'm saying, but but do you really believe that I have manifested the Father? That when you see me, you have seen the Father, that I'm not making all of this up, I'm coming underneath his authority. And I think this is a big part of us experiencing peace for our troubled hearts. Because a lot of us would go, man, I love Jesus. I'm just not sure about the Father. He seems so intimidating. I think he's really mad at me and he's longing to bring judgment in my life. But everything that you see of Jesus, the grace, the kindness, the truth, everything of who Jesus is, It accurately portrays the Father. The Father and the Son are one. And when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. And Jesus' whole intention is to bring us into deeper relationship with the Father. Christ spent so much time away in isolation just being close with with his Father. And this is how we experience the peace that surpasses understanding. You know, with young children, when they have a question, when they have hurt themselves... You hold them close, and just that closeness of them being with you is enough for them to experience peace. You don't have to explain to them all of the nuances of how things are going to be better. You just, just hold them close, rub their back, and it's going to be okay, and that's enough for them. And it's that relationship with the Father as we spend time with them that we experience peace. And verse 11, Believe me that I and the Father believe me that i am in the father and the father in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves jesus is saying look at my works and my works validate the fact that the father and i are one i'd encourage you examine the works of christ in the gospels examine his death and resurrection and it brings validation to his words an incredible promise in verse 12 most assuredly i say to you he who believes in me The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do because I go to my Father. How is this possible? Through the filling of the Holy Spirit that we're going to spend a lot of time on as we continue in the Gospel of John. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples being used by the Lord, our lives being used by the Lord. And then this concept of embracing the Father, we're left with prayer in verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus and to desire that the Father would be glorified? Now, to pray in the name of Jesus is not just to stick his name... On any prayer that we desire so we have a selfish desire that doesn't line up with the Word of God and we pray it in the name of Jesus is that what Christ is talking about is this is this some type of well I'm just gonna name it and claim it and if I believe it and I say it I'm gonna receive it no to pray in the name of Jesus is to pray according to his character and his nature The name of Jesus, when it refers to that, it's everything that that Jesus is. So think of someone that you respect, that walks with the Lord, that has a deep uh, relationship with the Lord. And then think, you know, does this activity go with their name? For instance, I think of my parents, Barb and Glenn Cartier. Walk with the Lord, love the Lord, serve the Lord. And I couldn't just go up to you and punch you in the face in the name of Barb Cartier. Like, it just doesn't fit. You know, if I just went up to you and said, you're a real jerk in the name of Barb Cartier, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't fit with who my mom is. She's not going to do that to you, right? Even if you deserved it, she wouldn't, she wouldn't do that to you. But sometimes we take the name of Jesus and we put the name of Jesus onto something that doesn't glorify the Lord. At times there's been people that have been in adultery and they've come to me and said, you know what? Would you just pray over this relationship? Like we're really experiencing God doing a work in our lives and we're in difficult marriages and we're coming to Bible study and we're praying together and and would you just pray in the name of Jesus over our relationship? It's like I'll pray in the name of Jesus. It's going to sound a lot different than what you think. Like I'm not going to pray blessing over your sexual sin. Lord, would you just bust up this relationship in the name of Jesus? (laughs) Because it doesn't glorify you. It doesn't honor you. They're, They're married to somebody else, right? And yet in this, there is a tremendous invitation if we will be stirred to pray in accordance with the name of Jesus. We see what it's not to pray in the name of Jesus, but what does it mean? And why is this an answer to their troubled hearts? Because there's difficulty that's going on, and Jesus is saying, I want you to be in peace. I don't want you to have a troubled heart, so trust me. Focus on heaven, and now I've given you access to the Father, and take the difficulty that you're going through, and bring it to the Lord, and ask that God would work in it according to his will, according to the name of Jesus. What are some things that we know are in line with the character and nature of Jesus? Jesus wants the lost to be found. So we can pray for those that don't know Christ as their Savior and ask that Jesus would work in their lives. God does want to strengthen our marriages. So as we cry out to the Lord and say, God, would you work in my marriage according to the name of Jesus? Yes. For your glory. That you would be, be glorified. You know, God wants to work in the lives of our kids for them to, to know the Lord and, and to walk with the Lord. God wants to use you in your singleness for, for his glory. All of those are in line with who God is. And hopefully, verse is 13 and 14 stir us to pray. I've been feeling challenged in the last few months to cry out to the Lord in prayer because of the things that we're seeing in our city and the things that we're seeing in our culture. And as humanity, as mankind, we don't have answers for the things that are taking place. Like, there is a bigger spiritual need than any person can come up with answers with. Our church, we need something beyond just strategies of how to reach people in our community. Like, there really does need to be a Jesus revolution, a God-ordained movement, right here in Colorado Springs. That that moves me to prayer and says, God, would you work in our community? God, would you work in the hearts and the minds of, of young people? And I would encourage you men, join me in that prayer. What does God have for RMC? What does God have for our lives personally? What kind of impact would the Lord want for us in our community and, and throughout the world? But also, what's stirring inside of you in the area of prayer? what is it that's troubling your heart and come to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to pray in your name, according to your character and nature, according to your will, that you will be glorified. Because God responds to the prayers of his people. It's an amazing mystery of God that God is sovereign and he has his plan, but yet he chooses to hear the prayers of his people. He, he's desiring for us to cry out to him and pray. I believe that's the answer for our land. It it is turning to the Lord. It's crying out to the Lord and asking that God would turn hearts towards him. So if you have a troubled heart this morning, and for some of you, you might say, oh, this is exactly the message I needed to hear this morning. I'm really in a place of difficulty. Or you might say, you know, my heart's troubled, but it's kind of on a minor scale. And it would be easy to just kind of ignore this and go, I'm really okay. But deep down, you know, I'm a little bit stirred about this particular thing. And for others of you, man, things are going great. So just tuck this in your back pocket. Because I guarantee you, you will have a troubled heart at some point. Probably this week, right? Is we want to put God's word in our heart and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm choosing to place my trust in you because you're faithful and you're good. I'm going to focus on heaven. This is not all there is. I'm journeying to heaven. And then I'm going to embrace the Father. I've been given this amazing relationship with my Father, and I'm going to come to Him in prayer. So as we close in just a moment and sing together, for believers, if you need prayer this morning, I think it's good to be able to respond. Saying, yeah, I'm here. I have a troubled heart. I desire peace for my troubled heart. Pastors and ministry team will be available and right during the song just come and say man I need prayer. And for those of you that say you know what if I died I don't know if I would go to heaven. How do I know that I have eternal life? How do I know that I'm the child of God? And we mentioned it John 3:16 it's through faith, it's through belief. Believing that we're sinners, believing that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, and crying out to Jesus, Jesus save me. I'm turning from my sins. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm inviting you to come during this last song. And let me tell you, we're not going to sign you up for a church. This isn't about joining a church. Your church can't save you. We're not going to ask for your money. God's not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. It's going to be an opportunity for you to pray from your heart to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he'll be faithful to his promise to save you and to come and walk with you and you'll become the child of God. So church, let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, as we read about the peace that you provide, we also want to experience it. To really walk in your peace. To trade in our troubled hearts for a heart that's filled with your rest. So we choose to trust you. To trust you with all of our hearts because you're good. That situation that you're facing, that difficulty, hand it over to the Lord. Rely upon him. Trust him. We choose to focus on heaven. Jesus, we look forward to seeing you. We look forward to beholding you, to worship in your presence, to bow before your throne. Would you fill our hearts with that hope of heaven? May we not make the mistake to think about that this is all there is. And help us to embrace our relationship with you, Father. And we do cry out to you, Lord the things that trouble us in our country and trouble us in our community and in our lives personally, God, we cry out to you. Lord, would you turn hearts towards you? Would you surprise people in our community that have no idea who you are, that have maybe even rejected you, that you'd be gracious to reveal yourself to them? Lord, we pray over the safety of our city and or we desire this to be a safe place for people to live. Or would your spirit just move through our community, move through the churches? Would you bless churches as they gather today? Or we cry out to you, would you work in the area of marriages? Would you work in relationship with kids? Or would you be with kids that don't have parents? Or we just see all of these needs and we ask that you would work according to your character, your nature bring people into relationship with you. We want to be a part of your plan and a part of your mission. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.